I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. The Best in the World Podcast with Richard Parr. Hello and welcome to The Best in the World with Richard Parr. I've had a bit of a change in my life recently and I've just moved up to London. So if this is sounding a little bit echoey, it's because I'm in a a new place and not my normal area or studio and hopefully it's not too bad and hopefully I can find a, a less echoey place to do these in the future. But let's forget about the echo. Let's talk about the best in the world because that's what we're doing today. We are speaking to the Ironman world record holder, Tim Don, and what an amazing story he has to tell. Tim broke the world record last year in Brazil and then just months later, he broke his neck after he was hit by a car while on his bike doing a training exercise in Hawaii and yet barely six months after the crash, after breaking his neck, he is about to enter the Boston Marathon. Absolutely incredible. And I think for most of us, if we were to have a broken neck, we would go into all kinds of depression and despair and I think what you'll really hear and learn from in this episode is that Tim is really upbeat about everything and he is really looking forward to getting back out competing again at the Boston Marathon. So we talk about his whole life, his career, his famous father who's a former Premier League referee. We also talk about the man he used to run with growing up. Yes, it's a very famous person. It's Mo Farah. So what a great person to grow up running with. So all of that's covered on this episode of The Best in the World with Richard Barr. So let's get to it. Let's speak to the Ironman world record holder, Tim Don. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Barr. Tim Don, welcome to the best in the world with Richard Parr, a triathlon world champion, a world record holder in Ironman. It's really good to have you on the program. But of course, we're talking a few months after you had a, a horrific accident, but you're recovering really well. How are you doing at the moment, Tim? Yeah, hi. Um, no, I'm doing okay, thank you. Um, yeah, I broke my neck um, on October the 11th, 2017, so it's been about uh, nearly 21 weeks now. Um, I had to have a halo on for three months where they screw the bolts into your skull. It's kind of like a plaster cast for your neck, so you really can't move it. So that was pretty aggressive. But no, that's off. I, I don't actually wear, have to wear a neck collar at all now. So now it's a case of trying to improve the range of my neck movement because obviously the, the muscles 
wore away in your in my neck and also just the mobility of the the different vertebrae um so i'm I've done I've done better, but I'm in a good place considering where I was a couple of months ago. Because <laughs> mm, I read that you had three different choices, right, of what you could do, and and you actually chose like the least popular, the halo. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, the the doctor, um, Doctor V, who's um, I was lucky that he was a triathlete himself. He'd qualified for Kona as an amateur, oh, wow. so he knew kind of like you know what I wanted to do with my life when I said I wanted to be active. And he said, most people go for the fusion where they, it was C2 that I, that I broke. Um, they fuse it with C1, but that really would limit later in life and even immediately um, the movement left and right by up to 50%. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. But it's the quickest because once the operations once you've had the operation, the bone is fused together with these two metal rods or titanium rods. And, um, you know, within a couple of weeks, you're good to go. The other one was just a soft neck collar, which is good, but it's, you still can move your head. So again, there's chances that the bone could be displaced or it Mm. takes longer. The recovery won't be as smooth. And then the one that not many people go for is the halo which is where they, as I say, as I said, they screw the bolts in. But he said, if you have that, there is a 90% chance of a hundred percent recovery with all neck function. And for me as a professional athlete, as a young dad with, with two young children who I want to go and play football with my son and, you know, go swimming with my daughter, you know, I, I want to, I wanted to have the, the best quality of life going forward. So it's three months of hell for hopefully a, hopefully a, a fully fully functioning net going forward. Mm, fantastic. And you're now working towards the, the Boston Marathon. So pretty much in the space of six, seven months, you're going to be attempting a marathon. That That's something which some people try and just achieve once in their life. And obviously you're a, a real elite sports star, but to be doing that is, is absolutely incredible in, in what you've been doing. Um, how's that going? And are there any concerns, any, any, anything you're worried about at all? Uh, well, I've, I, I've only I've only ever done a marathon in an Ironman. So I've, I've done one standalone marathon, and that was on a treadmill in Las Vegas <laughs> at the Consumer Electronics Show for a sponsor. So this will be my first proper marathon. I'm not gonna not gonna break any records or set the world on fire. But for me, I'm a very competitive 
person and I just felt I really needed needed a goal something to to, to focus on and I realized that swimming's the hardest thing for me right now because I really can't turn my head to breathe so I realized I won't be doing a triathlon until the end of June early July but that was too long for me to wait so I, I I thought of a challenge that I could do and the opportunity came up that I could run Boston it's obviously very iconic it's one of the 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 the, the fastest well-supported marathons in the world um so yeah for me it was just a just the stars were aligned and it will be about six months after i broke my neck so if i can run a, a 250 i'll be i'll be happy with that normally i run a bit quicker than that in an iron man but as i say it's a, a stepping stone to, to, to doing a full iron man later in the year and my training so far is going okay I've now run 10 days where I can actually run outside. Before then, I had to aqua jog in the swimming pool. And then um, I would have to use an Auto G treadmill, one of the anti-gravity treadmills. And slowly we've progressed that. And actually, um, it was early February. No, sorry, the end of February, I got the all clear from my doctor that I can run outside. Because I was also running with my neck collar on. (laughs) Um, But now I don't have to wear the neck collar at all. So, um, yeah, we're, we're, we're moving forward now. You must have got some funny looks when you were doing that, Tim. Yeah, I think running around, running around the reservoir here in Boulder, and I've um, yeah, people are, are double giving me a double take. Going, oh, he's around his neck, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, but it, but it's not as many many um, double looks as I got when I was in the gym or on the exercise bike with a halo on. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you were on a bike after just three weeks or something crazy. It was about three. It's about. I think it's about just over three weeks and a couple of days. I did five minutes and I did some exercises. I was just the, the initial pain of everything had subsided, and I was just going mad because, you know, I, I I couldn't do anything. I mean, I couldn't put socks on. My wife had to do it. I couldn't shower. I was sleeping in a chair. Um, you know, I was really like I really couldn't move because the halo brace comes right down to in line with my belly button. So you know, you really are immobile. Um, so yeah, for me, that was my my outlet, I guess, of stress, frustration, um, was going to the gym and doing some some little cycling and doing some exercises with my lower body and my arms. You seem very positive for someone who's been in this big crash and, you know, a life-threatening injury, not just a career one, but a life-threatening one. Were you always this positive throughout it? How How did you initially cope? How did you initially react? Um, I think, you know, the first kind of like five days kind of happened so quick, you know, because obviously it happened in Hawaii. You know, I obviously went to the hospital at first. When I left the hospital, I was in there for about nine hours while they were diagnosing and sorting me out and whatnot. They actually said that it wasn't that bad and the fracture wasn't so so prominent. So I only needed a soft collar for five weeks. So when I, so, and they said, but we recommend you, we give you permission to fly, but we recommend you going home and seeing your doctor in, in Boulder. Um, so at that stage I was thinking, well, if it's five weeks, that's kind of like, um, the end of November, I could probably race in January. So, so the first <laughs> like 48 hours, that's, that's, that, that was my mentality. Then I landed in Denver um, we drove straight to the, the specialist um, and he saw the scans and straight away he said, no, this is the right lateral mass. This is a very serious fracture because if there's any complications, it's so close to the blood vessels that go into your brain. And to give you an, 
C2 is actually kind of like in line with your ears. It's very high up. You know, it's almost in the base of your skull. So any any issues there is going to have massive complications. Um, so, yeah, once that happened, I think then I was on some pretty heavy drugs. But no, for sure, there was some I don't know. Dark days is too strong a word. Probably not. But no, yeah, there were some hard times, you know, when I, I literally haven't slept more than an hour for like four or five days. The screws are are excruciatingly painful you know everyone's talking about the great races they've had in hawaii which i i believed i i, I could have you know had a, had a good race there you know but but there was so much going on that i had to deal with what was happening in the moment i couldn't think i'm never going to race again or i couldn't think what would have happened if i'd have raced mm. because i just getting through the day was hard enough and painful enough so i think Breaking that process down helped me cope with it. But no, without a doubt, there were days when I thought I just cannot go on. I think it was some of the medication they gave me the second time I went. So that was about a week after just didn't agree with me. So I was vomiting. And if you if you can imagine when you vomit, you have that neck kind of like gag reflex. But if you imagine your neck mm. can't do, move because you've got these screws screwed into your head. So I'm trying to throw up, but it's putting pressure on my head. The screws are digging into my skull. It was, yeah, it wasn't nice. <laughs> oh, crikey. Well, it's amazing that you're, you're having such a remarkable recovery because 2017 up until then had been a pretty good year for you competitively, hadn't it? Yeah, for me, I I mean, since I've been doing long course like 70.3 and Ironman since 2013 and I definitely found my groove in um, 2014 in 70.3 and since then, I've got a couple of medals at the World Champs and won, I think, I think won 70% of all the races I've done and podiumed in 90% of them. But definitely, um, Ironman's a different beast. And I, I bought a new bike coach on, Matt Bottrell, a year and a half ago. And with my existing coach, Julie Dibbons, the three of us really found a formula. And yeah, 2017 was the, was the year I really hit, hit, um, hit my stride in Ironman. And obviously in Brazil, I went 7.40.23. And, you know, the goal was was to, to try and be competitive in Hawaii. So, yeah, no, I was, I definitely, I was definitely having a, a good year and I was, in a, I was in a good place physically and mentally going into Hawaii. Mm. So you kind of found that, that winning formula, the formula that worked. But what were some of those things which you changed which proved to be beneficial? Without giving too many hints to your competitors, <laughs> Tim. <laughs> no, I, I think... Um, I, we all, um, for us, we, we changed my bike position. I got a lot more aggressive, a lot more aerodynamic. And also it was, <clears throat> it was how I trained because when you race an Ironman, although you're trying to get from A to B on the bike as quickly as possible, you break that down into stages. And we weren't really doing that before we were just going, it's 180 kilometers, about four hours, 15 of hard cycling. But with Matt, we broke that down into different segments so we could focus on, you know, everything in biking is done by our power, our wattage output. So, you know, we want to hold this watts for this period, then this, then this. And, um, you know, we, we, we just really, we really, in, we did a lot more intensity on the bike. Um, but when I was fatigued, so towards the back end of the bike, I was able to produce more power than I had done in the past in a more aerodynamic position. Therefore, I was already going quicker. And, um, you know, with Julie putting the whole program together, we then could incorporate my running around those bike sessions. And we could see early season with the 70.3s, I'd, I'd really made a breakthrough. 
Um, but th the only secret is really, I'll be honest, is you just got to train blooming hard. <laughs> the best in the world podcast with Richard Parr. We'll have more from Tim in just a moment, but before we do so, I just want to tell you if you want to continue talking about sports and high performance, then join in the conversation on our Facebook group. It's called Best in the World. You can just find it by searching it in Facebook. We'll have lots of discussions all related to sports and high performance. Come and join us, Best in the World, on Facebook. All right, let's return to the conversation with Tim Don. The Best in the World Podcast with Richard Parr. Give us an idea of a, a typical training day, if you if you wouldn't mind, uh, Tim. Maybe the, the time you get up, what you're eating, what you're, you're kind of training. Give us an idea of, of how that day goes, please. So no no two days really are the same. Um, but, you know, like a, so, so if I take, say, a Saturday... So normally on a Saturday, I would I would wake up at about 6.30, have a light breakfast, some fruit, a double espresso, head to the swimming pool for 8 o'clock, swim anywhere from 5.5 to 7,000 metres. Um, and the main set would be about 3,000 metres of hard swimming. Come home, have some, um, have some porridge with almond milk and... Um, um, then, then about an hour later, jump on my bike, ride anywhere from, I guess about um, 90 kilometers to a, to 100 to 150 kilometers. And sometimes I'd put some, um, say maybe two by 45 minutes at race pace in there. And then that evening, I'd then go for a run anywhere from eight to 15 kilometers. Oh wow, <laughs> uh, that, that's an event in itself that day. Um, again, interesting. You, you mentioned uh, uh, porridge with almond milk. That is pretty much the staple of 110 uh, uh, Olympic and world champions I've spoken to on this podcast. Very interesting. What about um, pre-race rituals? Is there anything in particular you do, Tim? Um, not, not nothing religious. No, no superstitions. For me, kind of race morning, it's all about a routine. You know, I call it normal service. I've been a professional since 1997. So sure, it took me a couple of years to find it, but I've been whether it's a an Olympic Games, a world title, or the local race I'm doing for training. It's always the same, same warm up, you know, the same checking my equipment the night before. I'm a very, I like to be very practical and organised. So take the superstition out. Um, but I always travel. I don't know if this is. I always when because obviously we travel a lot. I always take my own pillow with me. So at least I know I've got got a gonna have a good night's sleep the night before. <laughs> oh wow! Is it uh, is it a particular brand or make or something or just your own pillow? No, it's a, just a very thin, light feather pillow. Because <laughs> you go to hotels and they have all these big fluffy ones, but yeah, you know when you're yeah you just don't want to you want to have a good night's sleep and don't want to get a crook in your neck. Oh yeah, and that'll be especially important for you in the in the next few months. I'd have thought. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I'm still actually not sleeping laying down at the moment. I'm oh still sleeping at a slight angle. So we're slowly getting back to normality there. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And you mentioned you're a father. How how did that change your life as, as far as all of this routine and training going? Well, to a degree, it threw it out the window. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, I mean, I'm, I'm very lucky. My wife, Kelly, she's an ex-international runner, so she totally understands that being a professional isn't just about the training. It's a, it's a lifestyle. It's about eating well, going to bed early, you know, when you're not training, even in the day, you know, sleeping. Um, you know, so with children, she does a heck of a lot with them. But again, I'm so lucky that I don't work nine to five. So I can take my daughter to school and then go to the reservoir and go for a run. I can pick her up in the evening while she's doing her swim lesson. I can be swimming as well in the, you know, a couple of lanes. So in terms of that, you know, we make it work. And, um, you know, it's a lot easier. Our son goes to school three days a week because he's only three and our daughter, she's in grade two. So every day that, that, that when they're younger, it is a lot harder. Um, the biggest thing for me was the traveling, um, spending time away from them. And that's the beauty about Ironman and 70.3 is you only race about six to seven times a year. Well, when I race the ITU, the WTS circuit, I literally race up to 18 times a year, but I'd also be on national training camps for a lot of that. And when we first had Matilda, I was still living that lifestyle. And that was very hard for us because I was spending a lot of time away from my family. So, um, you know, going up to the, um, yeah, the longer distance is, is made that, made that a lot more simple for us. Mm. Cause you're, you're living in Boulder now, right? But you're, you're from Hampton in Southwest London. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. We've lived in, um, Colorado Boulder now for almost five years. Um, so yeah, no, I mean, the reason we moved here is, you know, within the United Kingdom, it's very much an Olympic nation, you know, especially for triathlon, you know, it's all Commonwealth Games, um, Olympics, ITU, um, the International Triathlon Union, the WTSs, Ironman isn't that big, all a bit, most of the big races are in North America, um, lots of the big sponsorship opportunities for that distance are in North America, and I mean, to give you an example, it's the middle of winter here, and it, it, over the weekend, it was 21 degrees, and I'm at altitude. So it really is. They have 300, 300 days of sunshine in Colorado, in Boulder. So um, it's an amazing place to train. It really is. Oh, you're rubbing it in there, Tim. It's freezing <laughs> yeah, I'm, here. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> and uh, I, I want to talk about uh, a little bit about your early life, and because obviously your your dad was a, a famous referee, Philip Don. Was football ever on the cards for you? Um, not really. I mean, you know, everyone dreams of being a footballer, but, you know, growing up in England and the United Kingdom. But no, I mean, I, I played for the school and, you know, Sunday league team, but I was never, um, I was never, I was never going to go professional. And I, I tell you what, I certainly wasn't going to be a referee or a stick my dad used to get. <laughs> But no, I enjoyed it. But for me, I always swam from a young age and I enjoyed mountain biking, messing around on my bike. And by the time I went to secondary school, I was doing cross countries and kind of like the three sports just came together. Um, you know, at Hampton Open Air Swimming Pool, there was a big triathlon club there called Thames Turbo. And um, yeah, through them, they introduced me to triathlon. And yeah, the rest is never looked back. The rest is history. Mm, amazing. And you also famously trained with Mo Farah growing up. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, he went to one of the, the rival pride. He went to Felton, Felton Community School and I went to St. Mark's. So we raced each other. Um, and then, um, yeah, we ran for the same club. Then it was, it was Hounslow Athletics Club or the borough of Hounslow. And, um, yeah, we were in the same run group and hung out with the same guys. He was obviously a lot younger than me, but... He was running with us because he was that good <laughs> mm. at such a young age. But, you know, growing up in that area, you know, 
I, I'd be running in Bushy Park and, you know, you'd see 10 Kenyans coming towards you running. You'd see Daniel Coleman. He was one of the original pioneer, pioneering Kenyan distance runners that was racing in Europe. They were all based out of St. Mary's University, which was in Teddington, just, just down the road. Yep. So, um, you know, I was so lucky that I was in, I was brought up in an endurance Mecca, you know, Sonia O'Sullivan was living there. Oh, wow. um, Mottram, he used to come and train there. Um, yeah, it was just, um, yeah, it was just a Richard Naraka, one of the, the, one of the, one of our great marathon runners back in the day. So yeah, no, it was just, um, I was in the right place at the right time for endurance sport. Is there anyone in particular you looked up to the most? Um, I, I think back then internationally, it was definitely how Gabri Selassie, I mean, you know, when I met him at Sydney Olympics in 2000 and you know what he was doing over the five and the 10 then was just phenomenal. He was, you know, one of those most consistent runners winning virtually everything he did, but he always came across as a happy, smiley guy. And whenever I met him or saw him live competing, he was, he did come across very genuine. And for me, you know, that was definitely the benchmark of, you know, athletic performance and being someone that was kind of like an ambassador for their sport. Um, so yeah, definitely how Gabri Selassie. Yeah, whenever people talk about him, I've I've never heard a bad word about him. Everyone's always got positive things to say. What are the main differences then, Tim? Obviously, in your early years, you were very successful in triathlon and now very successful in Ironman. What are the the main changes that you have to make when preparing between the two? I know you say you, you race less, but what, what what does it does it involve a lot more work? It's um, and I I don't mean this. To, it's, it's a lot more, it's a lot simpler training for the longer distance. It's a bit like, you know, going from a track, a distance track runner to marathon and half marathon, you know, as you lose your speed, you, you, you can keep your endurance. So it's just a lot about more miles for us now. Um, it's, it can be quite complicated, not complicated. And it is complicated for, for triathlon training because you need to balance all three sports. You, you don't want to improve one too much to, so your swimming going under if you're, you know, you need to improve all three similarly. So you need to kind of like, you know, um, divide your energy and time roughly equal, equally. Um, and for me going longer, it was a lot more simpler, you know, with ITU, you know, if you miss a beat, then you can, then you, your race can be over. But in an eight hour race, you've got time. And again, we ride on our own in Ironman. It's a non-drafting race. So it's a time trial as opposed to ITU, which is like a criterium, like pack cycling. So tactics are heavily involved. Um, so for me, it's a lot simpler. Um, it's a lot longer. And I actually enjoy it a lot more now. Now I'm older, I can go out for four, five, six hour bike rides on my own or with some friends. And as I say, Colorado, wherever I train, you know, I'm lucky that, it, that it's really nice. Um, so yeah, I find it a lot simpler. And the fact we're not traveling as much is brilliant. Mm. what goes through your mind though in some of those really long races where you're not with someone else where it's just you and your thoughts how can you keep that focus for such a long period um for me again i break it down so there's actually you still have to focus on a fair amount so you know kind of like the swim you want to make sure you're swimming in a straight line you want to make sure you're as close to the person in front to get that draft um, you know, you're checking out where people are behind you transition, you're hitting that pretty quick. You know, you want to get on your bike. Once you're on the bike, that's the big chunk. That's the kind of four hours, you know, you want to, you've always got to keep an eye on your, and you're not, cause for the first hour and a half is very easy because 
if you're if you're hurting then then you're in a whole world of pain because <laughs> you've still got half the bike and a marathon to run so it's about you've got to focus on pacing yourself not getting greedy you're also nutrition and hydration you know you need to keep fully fueled for eight hours of exercise when you're on the limit so again for me it's kind of every 20 minutes i need to have some calories in i need my electrolyte drink um, I need to make sure I'm in the right gear. This is the hilly part of the course, so I need to know the corners. There are things that you can break it down. And for me, I'm a very, I'm not thinking, you know, I'm doing this for my country, my family, my wife. You know, I'm, I'm an emotional racer. I'm a very practical racer. Um, so I'm trying to break it down into the moment. You know, before I know it, I'm like, wow, I've done one lap. I've only got one lap to go of the bike, you know, and, and so forth. I don't know if that makes sense mm, to you. No, it does. No, it really does. Um, you, you said to keep yourself fueled. You mentioned electrolytes. Is it things like gels that you're eating throughout the time? Is, is, is that what, what, what you're normally being fueled by? Yes, on, on the bike, I, I, um, I use gel, like a liquid diet. So I use gels and then an energy drink, which has carbohydrate and um and electrolytes in as well but yeah literally it's almost 12 12 to 14 gels on the bike but i use a gel flask and then up to four of my own water bottles and then obviously at the aid stations i'm grabbing water um so yeah you know by the time you finish the race you, all you want is something savory like a like a really salty pizza or some french fries very athletic food <laughs> and, and you can have that you can get away with that Oh, after an iron man <laughs> yeah, you get away the, the one thing you can't get away with is go, walking up and down stairs that's hard <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll always remember at university a friend of mine did his first marathon and uh, we were walking to lectures uh, by some stairs and I, I couldn't stop laughing as he tried to climb them so I dread to think what it must be like for you <laughs> You need a hotel with a lift. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Uh, we're going to wrap this up shortly, Tim. But one of the things I also want to know is, is how do you relax and, and what do you enjoy doing when you're not thinking about cycling, swimming or running? For me, I love spending time with my family, as I say. Um, you know, it's a big part of my life. So, yeah, we always hang out on the weekend together and in the evenings um, got I'm lucky I've, you know we've made some we've, we've been here five years and through the children and 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 obviously triathlon you know there's some there's some awesome coffee shops in boulder so yeah it's nice to go out for a coffee and my parents are retired so they visit us a lot and my wife's do so spending time with my family and we enjoy traveling as well in the off season you know we always try and go away for a couple of weeks somewhere new um with the children you know for some you know, relaxing time, but also something a bit different as well. So, um, you know, there, there's no no hobbies really that I have. You know, as I say, triathlon. It's not a you you, you can't. I'm a believer. You you know, with professional sport, you can't truly fully switch off from it. You know, it's not like a, an office job that when you take your tie and suit off and you you know you, you get home, you can forget about it. You're you're always thinking. You know, if I have three glasses of wine, I'm probably not going to train that well tomorrow. <laughs> well, one and a half, I should be okay. And you know, oh, should I have the um, the French fries and the burger, or you know, the nice grilled chicken and the rice salad? You know, it it, it is the amount of effort and that you put into your 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 body and your job is the kind of return you get in you're you're kind of self-employed but also the harder you work you know and i don't just mean the physical side just the harder you prepare and the more diligent you are the better the result so you can't truly truly switch off i believe and i think that's great advice for anyone in any industry really everything you said there um 
Finally, the, the Ironman South American Championship in Brazil last year, you broke the world record, shaved four minutes off the time. The person who came second was 25 minutes behind you. Was that a day where you, you just, even before you set foot on swimming or cycling or running, that you thought it was going to be a good day? And did you have the world record in sight as you went into that race? I absolutely did not have the world record in sight. It, it's there are so over eight hours of doing anything. There are so <laughs> many variables that can affect it: weather conditions, mechanicals, ups and downs. So the world record was never. I'll tell you a story. Actually, is it thirteen k into the run, and um, one I raced for a team, and one of the team coaches was like, "If you run a two forty eight, you're going to be close to the record." And I was like, "Brilliant." What it's record? And then he said the world record, and I was like, "Oh right, okay." So I had absolutely no idea, even that, even in that late stages. I knew I was in good shape, and I wanted there to execute and to be competitive to win. The year before, the guy who won, Brent McMahon, he was only a minute off the the world record, so it was a fast course. Um, but no, I was never thinking thinking that way at all. It kind of like. You know, the weather conditions were perfect. It didn't, it wasn't hot. There was no wind. Um, the roads are smooth. There was no current or waves in the sea. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, saying I won by 20 minutes, that's not unheard of in an Ironman. What happened is about halfway through the bike, I had a big lead and then, um, there was a lead group and they decided, uh, whether it was intentionally or not to play a tactical game, they decided that they, whoever was on the front didn't want to work extra hard to try and catch me. So they really backed off. And while they did that, I just could forge on. So, um, sometimes when you see the big gaps, there's obviously tactics involved. Mm. So those guys had decided let's race for second. And in doing that, it made my, my race look more impressive. (laughs) Well, it certainly was impressive. And this has been a really impressive conversation about an amazing life and career that you've had so far, Tim. Um, before we go, can you first of all let us know where we can continue to follow your journey on any social media channels or a website, or something like that? And and also, I hear that your, your some of your sponsors have been really really good and been really supportive through the the difficult last few months you've had. So I don't know if you want to mention any of them as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if you want to follow triathlon, there's yeah, just Google triathlon and just follow it. It's an awesome sport. Um, I'm Try the Don on Instagram and on Twitter. We're also in the process of making a documentary, um, oh, wow. which is nearly finished um, for the last um, since I broke my neck. Um, so that's going to finish. That's going to be released in May. Um, and yeah, no, I'm just so lucky that you know my sponsors. You know, they've really got behind me through these difficult times. And you know, going forward, hopefully, I can repay them by by going back to Kona in 2018 and and having a good race there. Well, fantastic. I'm sure you will, and I wish you all the best in that uh, Boston Marathon and and hopefully we'll see you competing again soon on the Ironman circuit. It's been so wonderful to talk to you, Tim. Thank you for being on the program and thank you for being the best in the world. Thank you, Richard. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Great to talk to Tim. Wish him all the best in the Boston Marathon on April the 17th. If you're into triathlon, you might want to go back and listen to my interview with Emma Snowsill. She is a former triathlon Olympic champion. Plus, if you're into crazy world records, how about the world record in static cycling 
That is held by the Adventure Man, Jamie McDonald, episode 55. That is a really fun chat. Maybe go back and listen to that. It's all on iTunes, on Stitcher, and please give them a rating and review if you can. It really helps boost the performance of the show so more people know about it. And please press that subscribe button. All right, I'm going to leave it there for this week. I'll be back next week with another world or Olympic champion, world record holder or world number one to find out what they do from the rest of us to become the best in the world. Goodbye for now. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.